0: Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS, now the always entertaining Chris Ceballero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson.
1: Well once again it's time to go Inside EMS ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host Chris Ceballero and I gotta say man, summertime, summertime, some, some, summertime, I think that's a song, I don't know but I ain't singing any more than that, uh, it's time to go Inside EMS where the podcast that's always imitated but never duplicated. And I don't really know what that means either, but uh, let's go ahead and bring Kelly in before I embarrass myself even more. And here he is uh, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how you doing?
0: i'm good man and and, and i'm not going to start off singing or, or or telling you there ain't no cure for the summertime blues
1: <laughs> yeah that's right so uh kelly man i gotta say our last show really was a hit and people yeah. really had a good time with the uh, giving a radio report and uh you know it's one of those things that i think it was so simple for us to talk about but it's it's one of those things that really give people a, a hard time gives them angst sometimes and and uh, you know there was a lot of things that we pointed out. I think that really made sense, and uh, you know people mm-hmm. really appreciated it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think we we sparked some uh, some pretty serious discussion. Um, one one Facebook commenter in particular kind of tickled me. He said, "You mean you mean to say that their rehearsed and pre written uh, reports are better than our our, our extemporaneous ad lib ones?" <laughs> it's just sort of laugh. Uh, how many? How much notice did you give me before I gave my report? About thirty seconds. Yeah.
1: Oh, so really? So what he <laughs> yeah, thought was is that we scripted it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we scripted it.
1: Yeah. All right. So if you, if you're listening, <laughs> it was so no scripted. Cute. Yeah. No, so.
0: No, it was not scripted. Yeah. And the I want to put that in the outtakes.
1: Yeah. The only thing that we did do though is we uh, just laid the patient. Uh, you know, I sent. Kelly an email that kind of had some patient information so we were kind of similar and I know in the quick clip if you guys listen to the quick clip which was about two minutes that that was just Kelly's radio report if you listen to the whole show you know that was my end of it so go ahead and listen to the show And uh, hear that. And and with that, before we get started, I want to thank everybody because you guys are going over to iTunes and you're rating the shows. And you know, it's really important for us to uh, you know to kind of get those ratings and kind of see what's Mm -hmm. going on. You know, from those things, Kelly, we're we're able to kind of think about where the shows are going to go and what comes next. And uh, we really appreciate our fans.
0: Gives us gives us some direction and and, uh, fodder for future podcasts. And uh, we really appreciate it.
1: So one of the things we want to do, since we had such great feedback on that show, is we want to kind of take it one step further. So we talked about the radio report and the elements that go into a radio report. One of the things we want to do now is we want to talk about one of those things that really kind of gives paramedics a little bit of, you know, frustration, and that's going to be the handoff at the hospital. You know, Kelly, mm-hmm. even, even before we start, and we're going to kind of use the same scenario that we did in the radio report, and again, this is nothing that we scripted. This was something we just talked about maybe 20 minutes ago as we were deciding mm-hmm. which way to go with the show today. But let me ask you this: What do you think is one of the biggest things that that doesn't give us the best advantage to giving a radio report at the hospital?
0: One of the obstacles I run into is, is multiple people um, want to hear the report and they come in the room at, at different times. So you wind up having to repeat yourself multiple times. And it took me, it took me a while in my career to to figure out um, how to give that report without having to repeat myself and, and tell the story a half a dozen times. Um, so now i wait until everyone is in the room. That's going to be rendering care. Uh, and I say it one time, you know, and I've had colleagues that, that, that do the same thing. One of, some of them, you know, transport to a uh, major teaching hospitals in, in Boston, for example. And when they've got a, when they've got a new residence, a crop of new residents, which they're coming up on in, in another week or two, uh, in July, they get that new crop of residents. So you've got an attending, you've got residents, you've got a, You've got uh, multiple nurses and care providers, and they all want to know the story. Uh, so they their philosophy is they don't start talking until the attending is in the room. And they talk to the attending, and if anybody else wants information, they can get it from them. But right. they, they give the bullet one time. Uh, it took me a while to do that because so many people, there's there's no cohesiveness to, to uh, what they want to know, you know. So I, I try to... Uh, hold my tongue until we're ready to transfer a patient care over and then I talk to one person um, and that's usually either going to be if it's not the physician and, and quite often our physicians don't uh, don't meet us in the rooms uh, but I will give uh, give report directly to the nurse that's going to be caring for the patient
1: yeah I think we got to flip it a coin here man I, I think when it comes to something that's severe you know heart attack trauma gunshot, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, I think that you, you you may have to wait. But, you know, usually I wait for the person that's going to be writing. And, uh, yeah. you know, you walk into a room with a, with a regular medical call, and usually the nurse is going to be right there. The only thing I'm going to wait mm-hmm. for is to get her pen ready and get her paper ready. You know, if, if somebody's going to come in and say, you know, what's going on with this patient, I'm going to finish my report. And I'm going to say, you know, give me a second, and I'll, I'll catch you up afterwards. But one of the things I'm going to do afterwards and say to the nurse that's scribing is, Did you get everything you need? Yeah, and then I'm going to say you can get everything from her. But but what about this question, Kelly? Because we get this all a lot. And as a chief, I heard this all the time. And the frustrations of the nurse just doesn't listen to me. How how do you handle that? How how are you going to address that?
0: I don't think you're going. The the nurses that truly are not listening to you, um, you're not going to make them listen by giving a better report. You're not going to control how well another provider does his or her job uh, by how well you do yours Um, so all you can do is do you know do the best you can give the best report you can and what they do with it or don't do with it is up to them Uh, I have found that some of the people uh, not not saying that the people who ask this question are are guilty of this but some of the people who uh, who uh, make that statement uh, don't give very good reports in the first place and the nurses have known by have know from experience that they they discount whatever they say because it's not reliable now uh, that was a very annoying thing for me as a as a new paramedic is to give a patient report, give a, a thorough handoff report, and then have the nurse or physician turn right around and ask the questions that I just provided the answers to. Um, but it only took me a few uh, a few times hearing a patient give me totally different response to get over that. And that's why I tell new providers that history never repeats itself. Um, you can ask a question in multiple ways or ask the same question over and over the same way. Uh and the third or fourth time you ask it, you may get a totally different answer. Um and and that's the reality that we face. And sometimes that that change in the in the patient's response is irrelevant uh and and reveals more of the problem. So right. um don't get don't get them out of shape when they do that sort of thing. But you just give the best patient report you can and the nurses that are believe me, the, the good staff Good, the, or the the competent staff in the emergency departments, you'll know which ones they are, and and they're going to pay your report heed. The rest of them, you can't you can't bother yourself about.
1: Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, point. And, and but one of the things that I've always looked at it, and I I think I give a good report and a good handoff at the hospital, and I've had people that have you know not listened to my report, but you know what, I still give it, and I still give it the yeah. same way that I would give it if they're paying attention or they're not, because at that mm-hmm. point in time. I'm more or less just overviewing for the patient what we did, overviewing for the patient what we found. You know, So the patient has told me whatever mm-hmm. they're feeling, their medications, their history, what we've done, but I'm finishing my job as professionally as I started it. And regardless mm-hmm. if they're going to listen to me or not, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to run that report through. Now, i got to tell you, there were times earlier in my career when people wouldn't listen to me, and I would just stop talking and walk out of the room. And I got to tell you, that was just ego. That was just attitude. That was just the wrong thing to do. You know, don't allow people to change the way that you address your position that you address your responsibilities you know uh, other people's opinions of you doesn't have to be your reality and if you're able to deliver the highest quality of patient care develop a rapport with your patient give them the compassion that they need as if they were a family member and then bring them into the hospital with confidence that you did the very best that you could you know go ahead and run that drill
0: yeah, I, you know, I've been guilty of the same thing uh, in regards to pre-arrival notifications. When certain nurses picked up the phone uh, and asked all these um, irrelevant questions, uh, the primary of which is, "Why are you bringing them to my facility?" Um, after a while, you I just love that you realize and you're I not going to. Yeah, it's like to have a mental map of the city, uh, and and you say, "I'm where are you coming from?" Well, so and sos closer, you know. And and my response used to be, "Well, you know." Um, there was nothing good on at the movies and the zoo was closed. So we're bringing them to you. Um, that was my standard reply.
1: That's funny. But
0: some of the nurses, some of the nurses I used to deal with, um, uh, I would just tell them, you know, I'll recognize their voice when they pick up the phone. I'd say, hi, Gail, it's Kelly. Bringing you a bad one. See you in about five and hang up the phone. Sure. And that, that only took two or three reports that way before the ER director and the, the, uh, the ER physician on duty asked me what was up. And say, well, you know, she wants to know the patient's favorite color, zodiac sign, likes and dislikes, and, and why we're bringing them to your facility instead of somebody else's, and I don't have time for that. Uh, and they took that to heed, and that nurse never answered the phone again.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Um, so, so that was great. But, but one of the things that in, in that handover report, uh, one of the things we, we sometimes forget is that's where you establish your credibility as a provider or destroyer as a provider. The nurses and physicians don't see what we do in the field. Uh, their experience or their their concept of our skills and our knowledge ha- happens in that two to three minutes where we're moving a patient from one bed to another. And if what you say is, uh, is valid and, and all the, the report jibes with what they actually see, then, then that raises their estimation of you as a provider. And the next time you pick up the phone and ask for orders, uh, you're much more likely to get them, and we forget that sometimes. And and a lot of times, when the nurses ignore you, uh, it's because they've already made a judgment of you from something that, that you know some discrepancy between your handoff report and the patient's actual findings. Sure. Uh, coloring their opinion of it. Um, that's unfortunate, but that's you know that's that's human nature.
1: And you brought that up as far as saying, why did you bring him here? You know, what's even worse is they say that when you walk in the door in front of the patient, why'd you bring him here? I said, why? Because this is a great hospital. They're going to receive great care. And this was probably the best place for them to be. And it really kind of shuts them up at yeah. that point. But, uh, you know, uh, this isn't told, a, res- this isn't a restaurant. We don't have to call ahead yeah. for reservations, you know? I exactly. mean, I you told
0: know, one, I told one nurse one time, I said, uh, I said, she's, she asked, why, why are you bringing him here? And I said, well, it's you know, you're a charity hospital. And I told him uh, that he shouldn't come here, but he's willing to accept crappy care as long as it's free. And That's, that shut her up. It, it also got me a day off without pay. But <laughs> it shut her up. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's willing to accept really substandard care as long as it's free.
1: That's right. So let me ask yeah. you this then, you know, so, you know, we talked about the radio report. and We're going to kind of use the same, you know, the same scenario that we did the last time. Mm-hmm. And for those who are listening, th- this is not scripted. We haven't gone through it. But when you start to give, you know, talk to the nurse and, and give that handoff at the hospital, what do you think is the best components or the best elements, to, you know, to passing that patient care off?
0: I start off with an introduction. Mrs. Jones, this is Nurse Smith. She's going to be taking care of you, Miss Smith. Meet Miss uh, Meet Nurse Jones, um, and I think that, from purely a customer service standpoint, I think that puts the patient more at ease when they know the names of their care providers. Uh, I introduce myself when I arrive on scene, uh, and ask the patient what name they like to be referred to, uh, and and I do the same when I hand them off. Uh, and at least you know you you start establish helping uh, the nurse establish that rapport. Um, but my general uh, my general guidelines are: is I flesh out uh, what my pre arrival notification said. That was the skeleton. <clears throat> I put the flesh on the skeleton when I do the handoff report. Um, if there is any significant change to my pre arrival notification, I will lead off with that, um, and I, I provide further background information as needed. You know, and, and there's no real. Um, I guess at this point in my career, I'm more doing it intuitively rather than following a standardized format. Um, But uh, there's no real formula to it for me. Um, I just fill in the blanks.
1: Well, let's go. ahead. I mean, you ready? You ready to give it a go? Do you do you do you have enough in you to give it a pop? So let me go ahead and remind you. Let me go ahead and remind you of a patient, and and just go ahead and add the things you need to. But just for the people that are listening out there, what I want to do is just to give you a little bit of format. This is, if you remember from the radio report show, this is a 56 year old female. Her chief complaint is chest pain times three hours. She's got a history of hypertension and high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. She's on verapamil. She's on Lipitor. She's got no known drug allergies no known drug allergies. Kelly, since you're not writing, I'll let you give the vital signs, uh, but they were stable. Okay. And, uh, you know, from that standpoint, go ahead and uh, bring the patient in, and let's go ahead and see what you got.
0: Okay. You know, at, at bedside, I would say, Michelle, this is uh, the stimulator I called you uh, called you five minutes ago on. Miss um, Jones, this is Michelle. She's a nurse. Who's going to take care of you. This is Dr. Rallus. She's going to be uh, your physician today. Miss um, Jones started complaining of chest pain about three hours ago. Uh, denied it for a couple of hours and then, then called us. Uh, we found an anterior wall STEMI on scene, um, uh, lead, or ST elevation in uh, V1, 3, V3. Um, her initial pressure and vital signs were 136 over 83, heart rate of 92, and respirations of 20 with a sound of 98% on room air. Um, we've given her 324 of aspirin and four nitros thus far, and it's only gotten her pain from a 10 down to about a 5. Um, I just gave uh, 50 of fentanyl just prior to arrival, uh, and her pressures remain steady throughout that. Uh, only known, no known drug allergies, uh, only meds are lipopore and veraponyl. Uh, she does have family history of heart disease, and that's all I've got for you. Any other questions?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that was pretty good. I mean, you got the basics, you know, uh, and and, and in, as we're doing this, you know, we don't have the patient in front of us to see, and, and mm-hmm. it was a very good from start to finish of A B C D, and then you went mm-hmm. down and said, "This is what we did. This this is what we found. This well, is what we did," and uh, you know, I think you covered it up well.
0: Yep, and and per, for purposes of scribing and, and and those sorts of things, uh, nurses also like to you know know uh, what size IV we put in, so. I would probably uh you know, if I had to do it over again I would I would flesh it out a little bit more and say, you know, that's a, that's an eighteen gauge in her left A C and I had time to get you another twenty on the other side and uh, she's had no fluid other than what's flushed through the saline locks and so sure. on and so forth. But you know, and that sort of thing. Um but it it, you know, lets them know exactly what they what they've got to deal with and, and uh um paint a pretty good picture from there.
1: Right. Let me see if well, I can let's give... hear yours. Yeah, let me give it a go, man. I'm out of practice. Remember, I'm an administrator. I'm not a paramedic anymore. But and I say that all the time, and and I say that tongue in cheek. And the reason I use that I, just for the people that are out there is because you know I'm in a position as a, as a chief to guide the department to to get us to our visions to make sure that mm-hmm. that folks have what they need to do their job. And I I shouldn't have to be the one to make policy for the field. The field people should be able to be the ones to say, you know, chief, we need this piece of equipment, or we really need to look at this protocol. I'm not doing the work anymore. And, uh, you know, they have to be able to be the ones to guide the care and Mm -hmm. kind of guide what we're doing. But let me go ahead and give it a go and see what we got. And uh, we're gonna walk in, and I'm gonna say, This is Kelly Grayson. Kelly's a 56 year old female. She's complaining of chest pain times three hours. She's been alert and oriented since we've picked her up. You know, she's got a history of hypertension and high cholesterol. Her medications of Rapamil and Lipitor. She's got no known drug allergies. 3 lead EKG showed tachycardia 12 lead was unremarkable Vital signs were 136 over 88 Pulse is 96 Respirations are 24 Secondary assessment didn't show anything uh, out of the ordinary She has normal S1 and S2 she, Her lung sounds are equal bilaterally We initially started off He had pain of at 8 over 10 We went ahead and gave her 3 doses of nitro 5 minutes apart We brought it down to 3 over 10 I gave her 100 micrograms of fentanyl I put an 18 gauge in the left intern And I've been running TKO fluid Other than that, the pain Has been unremarkable through transport. Yeah. Do you have any questions for me?
0: Yeah, and and that's that's you know that that fills in the blanks nicely. Um, All we really need to do is is paint a better picture of the patient's history. Um, We we want to give a a fleshed out chief complaint uh, and and assessment findings in context of their history. and if they need more than that, they can ask those questions. And, and well, as I pointed out earlier, sometimes they may need to ask the same questions over again because the answer sometimes changes, and those changes can can uh, dictate patient care somewhat. So um, just you 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 put the flesh on the skeleton, well, man, uh, and that's what we need to do. Whatever whatever format uh, or or. Uh, you know whatever format we want to use, use it, but but try to be consistent about it and right. uh, and approach it um, professionally and try to fill in all those blanks.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that you said that I think is really important to reiterate as well is that uh, sometimes they're going to ask the same questions that you've already asked uh, two mm-hmm. or three times. You know there are questions that we asked at different times as well, and I and I think this comes with experience where we'll say, "Do you have any medical conditions?" No. And then when you finally get down to the point, or what medications are you taking? Well, I'm taking lisinopril, and I'm taking diabenase and I'm taking... <laughs> okay, well, do you have diabetes? No, I don't. Well, why are you taking the diavanase? Uh My doctor well, told me yeah, to take it.
0: That, yeah, and that, that control... Yeah. You have hypertension? No, not want to take my uh, not want to take my little Right, but but <laughs> I think that
1: you have to realize that that that's okay. That those multiple mm-hmm. questions that you're going to ask is okay. The multiple questions that the nurse is going to ask is okay. The multiple mm-hmm. questions that the doctor is going to ask the same questions. And as you mentioned, that you said it so poignantly was the fact that. Uh, you know they they're just going to uh they may have different answers and they may not mm-hmm. want you know and I don't know how many times you've run into this Kelly but they may not want to answer us we're we're mm-hmm. just you know they may look at us and say I'm not telling them anything when I get to the do- when I get to the hospital I'll tell them anything or how many times has the patient said to you I'm not talking to you I'll wait till I get to the hospital
0: yeah we run into that a lot the, the people that still think of us as a fast ride and and that's about it. a fast free ride um often often about that attitude but even so, you can still glean some information out of those guys. Um, you know, it, it's a rare patient indeed that just flat out refuses to tell me nothing. I run into them, but but they're they're an anomaly. Um, but one thing I've I've found that is also necessary is sometimes you run into those those blind spots or, or problems in communication where the patient doesn't understand the history questions you're uh, you're asking, or uh, and you've already worked that out. Um, and knowing that, that the same problem is going to be uh, faced by the emergency department staff, letting them know those those barriers to communication and understanding, letting them know where the, the minefields are, where the uh, the problem spots are, uh, it sometimes helpful. Like pain scale, for example, you know, how many times have you run into a patient that, that did not understand the one to 10 numeric pain scale um, or, or Wong-Baker faces for that matter? Uh, but you are able to work out that the patient has, um, you know, significant pain. You were able to control it, uh, but that's one of those check boxes you got to fill out when when you do an emergency department screening. You know, or, you know what is your pain level, and you know, do you feel safe at home, and all those questions that that uh, sometimes EMS doesn't ask. Um, they may not get answered effectively if the nurse doesn't know uh, how to uh, adapt her questioning to the patient's uh, level of understanding. So.
1: You know, I think one of the things that you brought up that I want to touch on, and, and this really gets into the whole benefit of community paramedicine, and I know, you know, you and I have mm-hmm. talked about it before, is people really don't understand their medical conditions. I mean, I mean, let's, let me give you this scenario. Oh, no,
0: they do not. Yeah, yeah, let
1: me give you this scenario because I use this all the time as I talk with folks about community paramedicine is, you know, Kelly, you and I are great patients. We're going to call mm-hmm. today and we're going to go ahead and get a, an appointment because we need our prescription refilled or, or we're having some problems that we want our, our doctor to address. And they say, well, come see us two weeks from Friday. Well, first off, two weeks from Friday is what's going to get a lot of people an ambulance trip because they want things yeah. now. We've got drive-through. We We've got ATMs. We've, the people want stuff now, and their medical care is no different. And that's why they want to go to the hospital via ambulance. That's why they want to go to the ER and, and get those things done. But now here's the thing. The kicker about this is that, you know, you and I are good patients. We've got an appointment at 1 o'clock. So we're going to show up about a quarter to one and we're going to start going through all those great magazines that they have. And 20 after one, we're still sitting there. And then all of a sudden they call us. And now we go back to the little room. And now we sit in the little room for another 10 or 15 minutes and and we go through all the drawers and we see what's going on in there. Maybe we don't do that. But, um, but then the doctor comes in,
0: investigate the anatomical models.
1: Exactly. Look at it to see what's going on, how you differ from the models and stuff. And, you know, play with the tongue depressors, put them back. But, um, but one of the things that happens is now the doctor comes in and he spends what five minutes with you. Yeah. And how are you really learning about your—you uh, and I go in there, and the doctor's going to say things to us, and we're going to have a relative understanding about what he's talking about. But what about the 68-year-old woman who, who's having problems managing our blood pressure? You know, the doctor's just going to say, well, here you go. I mean, a lot of the elderly patients, the doctor's the, the end-all, beat-all, and, and you know, he's the authority, and who am I to question him? And we really have to move to a point now where we are questioning what our doctors are telling us and we have to have an understanding. Otherwise, we're not really getting a better quality of life.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it it occurred to me that we we still haven't given people a uh, a format to to how to approach this handoff report. One approach you might take to to that handoff report is, is just to simply follow the same format that you're going to use in your written patient narrative. Uh, that that details all of the relevant aspects of the call, or it should if you're documenting appropriately. Um, so just follow uh, in your handoff report, follow the same format that you would use in your written uh, patient narrative, be it chart or soapy or soapier or, or whichever one you use, complaint, history, assessment, treatment and and response to treatment um that kind of paints uh, the picture in a format that pretty much everyone understands um and it's the same stuff you're going to be writing in your report uh you just verbalize it um i know that in my system for example we don't we don't leave written reports to the hospital because we you know we use electronic pcrs uh and and there are no printers in the in the emergency departments so if they want a written copy of our record. Um, what they have to do is they have to log on to a website, a secure website, and they can download it as soon as we've uploaded our, our patient care report. Which they, don't send, get done within,
1: they don't send automatically once you upload them to server? Uh,
0: well, yeah, they, they do, but the, the ERs have to be able to access that particular server. It's a, it's, the reports are in the cloud. And, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and and they, can get the, they can get a PDF of our, of our report. Um, but it's not something I can, I can, you know, get a scribble and, and hand it off to the nurse when I hand off patient report. So our, our verbal handoff reports are, are, are pretty vital because they, they're not, you know, the nurse is not going to be able to go back and refer to it, uh, revert, refer to a written report to, to fill in the, the parts that she didn't hear, uh, or he didn't hear. Um, it's going to take them 15 to 20 minutes to log on to, uh, for us to get our report written and uploaded, and then they can go onto the uh, go onto the net and and download that. Right. Um, and, and it required it required our service to uh, to do you know in, set up individual web access uh, and uh, secure portals at each one of the hospitals, so they could go and get only access you know the patients that were transported to their hospital right. um, instead of just going to Acadian's a website and getting everybody. Sure. You know, that's uh, that took a took a little little doing, but um you know, since that, that written handoff report is not immediately available, uh puts the onus on uh more on us to to make sure that our verbal handoff report uh, at BedSide is as detailed and, and full as we can make it. And that's that's kind of the uh the format I use just generally. I say what I'm gonna write in my narrative.
1: Yeah, and I think that brings up a pretty good point. You know, a lot of the systems, though, um, and the systems that I've been in, as soon as you upload your, as soon as you upload your PCR to the server, wherever it is, the Mm -hmm. server automatically sends a copy of the report to the printer or whatever printer they deem so that's an interesting how you guys do it but one of the things that i want to close with is you know i think you said something really well that i want to go back and touch on because i don't want it to be overshadowed and i forgot Mm -hmm. to mention it is what was the response to treatment and Mm -hmm. that is a very very important component so what is it that you did that made a difference, or what is it that you did that didn't make a difference? And uh, that's yeah. a very, very important component, and I don't want to overshadow that. But, Kelly, it sounds like we got a clinical issue here.
0: It, it is. It is indeed a, a clinical issue, and it's one that, that we sometimes pay lip service to, but we don't actually practice near as well as we think. Uh, and that's one of the things we found out when we, uh, from the feedback we got on, uh, on the radio report or the pre-arrival notification is how often they're done poorly. Uh, some people say, you know, do we really need to be discussing this? Uh, You know, I can see a rookie giving a poor, uh, you know, call in notification, but, but veteran paramedics ought to be able to do this. Uh, and plenty of other people said, man, I could tell you a whole bunch of veteran paramedics that suck at it 10 years uh, into their career. So it's, it's something that, that we need to, we need to address, uh, and, and be aware of. And, and as I pointed out earlier, this is, this is one of the best ways to either build or destroy your credibility with the emergency department staff um give a good handoff report uh that matches exactly what they find there is you know in most details um and you build report and uh, you build a rapport and trust and and the staff knows that when kelly or chris picks up the phone and tells them something they can pretty much take it to the bank or uh, if they're continually finding things that you didn't notify them of or it was a totally different findings than, than uh, what they got, uh, they know that they're just, you know, they can ignore you and walk away. Uh, and we, you know, God knows that that happens often enough. Uh, we we need to be aware that sometimes it's us that's causing it. But that's our take on it. We'd like to hear yours. So give us your, your comments, thoughts, Questions, concerns? Email us at the show at EMS1.com. Uh, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Civilero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS, and we'll catch you guys next week.